thanks for tuning in to Power Athlete Radio. Have you ever seen someone run and thought, is this literally your first time? Do you coach youth athletes who are on the brink of athleticism, if not for their horrendous mechanics? Well, then this week's episode will empower you to implement the coaching that can turn these awkward specimens into finely tuned machines. It's probably our best speed discussion to date, and all thanks to guest Jim Cabasso, who breaks it down like no other. Hear his simple yet scientific approach to allowing athletes to reach their respective top speeds, even despite their inferior genetics. You heard right, people. All athletes have the ability to improve their skills, including speed, through strength, power, posture, and position. However, that doesn't necessarily mean that the genetic trash cans, as Jim Cabasso so aptly puts it, will magically turn a corner, overcoming their physiological shortcomings. The truth telling in this episode with strength and conditioning and combine prep coach is undeniable. His approach to taking on youth through college-age athletes is smart and scientific. Not only that, it's built on years of successful training, often resulting in family sports legacies. Effective training starts with listening to people who know a shit ton more than you. This is episode 177. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, it's that time again. This is Power Athlete Radio, the world's premier podcast in strength and conditioning. Now, you guys are lucky that I'm finally back. This is Luke here with John in Newport Beach, and then you got Tex in a library or something. And uh, we have a special guest today. Before we jump onto that, I do need to address something. Tex, how did you miss the one line you're supposed to say in last week's podcast? Which line is it? The premier podcast in strength and conditioning. I am pretty sure I nailed that. Well, if you did, Callie cut it out, because when I listened to it, two things happened. Who one, was on the podcast last week? Gladick. Oh, but no, we said it. I think I said it. You said it after Tex didn't say it. Oh, oh I said it, and then we reiterated. Callie cut that. She's fired. No, no, I don't think so. But there's that. And then you guys throw me under the bus. You guys just dogging me out. I can't, I'm not in the room to defend myself because well, I'm off how, the podcast. How did we dog you up? I can't remember. But it had to do with not remembering. Oh, the, po- the <laughs> podcast episode one. Oh, where you forgot to tell me that we were going to have a podcast? No, I told you, and you forgot. That's a lie. I don't know. Listen irrelevant. Uh, but one thing I do want to talk about is some exciting stuff on our front is the evolution of CrossFit football, the program and the seminar. So people, if you're listening and uh, you're looking to come to that seminar, it has grown and involved to the CrossFit specialty course, sports specific application. That's a mouthful, but, but in a nutshell and not literally in a nutshell, but uh, to kind of wrap it up, we, after eight years, decided to go through a rebrand and we got together with CrossFit and figured what would be a name and more importantly, how could I restructure this seminar to make the experience much more rich? So we kind of took it from CrossFit Football, which it had been over the last bunch of years, which was such an arbitrary name in that uh, the only thing that was football related was football. So uh, we actually make it more about athlete, uh, about training athletes, developing athleticism, mm-hmm. fostering movement, and really just helping you progress and how to teach these things. So I think the seminars can be really good. Uh, we don't really have to spend time really talking about CrossFit versus CrossFit football. We can show you where the CrossFit fits in, and more importantly, how these programs all kind of gel together. And um, also with that comes the end of CrossFit football after dot com. eight year dot com <laughs> after an eight year hiatus. The website has ended, and we have basically decided to uh, have a sense of humor about training again. And so I created this thing called Johnny Wad, 
which is a pun in a lot of ways from talking to me, Johnny and also the original Johnny Watt, who was John Holmes. <laughs> so for those of you guys that are, uh, you know, don't understand it, but the idea was that, Hey, we're just going to post up some workouts, uh, heavy, hard, fast, do some basic conditioning and, um, have some know, fun. Yeah. And have some fun. And, uh, actually we did some stuff this morning and, um, I'm still drunk. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I kind of hurt myself a little bit. So if I go off the rails, don't worry about it. But, uh, enough about us. We have a, a yeah. Let's guest. talk about yeah. Enough, about yeah. yeah. So enough about us. Here's who we've got on, people. We got Jim Kilbasso, who is the uh, director at Total Performance Training Center, located in the Paris of the Midwest, <laughs> Wixom, Michigan. Uh, <laughs> he's shaking his head at me. <laughs> I thought Naperville was the Paris of the Midwest. Well, we just say that it's really Wixom. Oh. Uh, <laughs> but Jim's also an author and well-traveled, knows a bunch of stuff, and I'm not going to do him justice by introducing him. So, Jim, why don't you do us a favor, everybody listening, give them the two, three, four, 20-minute version of who you are, how you got to where you are, and what are we going to learn today? Well, thanks for having me on, first of all. It's really exciting, really exciting. And um, it, it, we're not so much the Paris of the Midwest. It's more like Rio de Janeiro. Oh, Rio, okay. Yeah, it's a little <laughs> more exotic here in Wixom. Um, there's, you know, a couple of roads and stuff here, so it's a little bit different than Paris. Um, so, yeah, I, I run a, a sports performance training center in Michigan. Actually, Wixom is, you know, everybody from this area just says we're from Detroit. Oh, okay. So, you know, so I'm, I'm, a, I'm a Detroit suburb. Um, I, I was born and raised in Michigan, but not, not outside of Detroit necessarily. But, um, yeah, what, what we do here is we, we train athletes, and I do a lot of NFL combine prep stuff. Um, I went to, I went to Michigan state for undergrad and then went to Michigan for grad school. So, um, I get a lot of crap for, for trading schools. Um, but you know, they were both awesome experiences. I was a college strength coach at the university of Detroit for six years before we opened up total performance in 2002. And, uh, I've explained to a lot of people that when, when we opened up a sports performance place in 2002, we were literally like explaining what we did. Um, today, you know, there's people, people know what sports performance is and people are actually out there like looking for it back then people had no idea what we were doing and we were having to explain to coaches and parents, like what we were actually doing. Uh, no, that's great. What, what about before that, before college and before, you know, getting into the professional world when you grew up, were you, were you an athlete? Did you play any sports? Yeah, I played lots of different sports. Um, you know, as a kid, kind of, kind of a little bit of everything. Um, I did, uh, I did a lot of soccer. Soccer was big in my area. Um, I played a lot of basketball, ran a little bit of track. Um, and I, I, I got into working out when I was, uh, in high school, um, kind of jokingly bought a muscle magazine for my, for one of my best friends for Christmas because it was, uh, you know, he was into lifting weights. So I was, I bought him these muscle magazines thinking it was going to be funny, you know, ha ha, there's these dudes, you know, lifting weights. And, before I gave them to him, I started looking through it and I started realizing like, wow, this is pretty interesting stuff. So that's kind of how I got started. And I asked my parents for, um, for some weights for Christmas that year and got a, uh, I think it was a, a one of those 110 pound sets with like plastic, um, you know, plastic weights that were full of cement inside of them. And, uh, you could, you know, throw them on to a, the bar was one of those real skinny little bars with, uh, 
piece of crap clips that you couldn't even get on and off. And um, I remember, you know, throwing those around as best I could. I didn't even have a bench. So I took a picnic table bench and threw a, a sleeping bag over the top of it. So it wouldn't like cut my skin up. And, uh, and that's how I, that's how I started lifting weights back in high school. Oddly enough, and uh, you'll get a kick out of this, Jim, it's kind of an inside joke. I, I remember that exact same weight set my old man had, and I was like, I don't know, seven, eight years old, and I used to just go down there and deadlift it. Yeah. Maybe that's why I'm allergic to deadlifts now, is early exposure <laughs> to deadlifts. <laughs> so, this is like an ongoing thing. Uh, um, whenever we deadlift, Luke literally like – I shut down and just yeah, get sick it, like, yeah, right after sick, that workout. Like, has like a, you know, and, and it all came from we were um, – doing a bunch of uh, a compensatory acceleration training, like a bunch of uh, half field stuff where we were testing bar speed. And so we were kind of, you know, getting real jiggy on this and we ordered a Tendo unit. So everything we were doing was like Tendo, like, Hey, we're going to tell you what we're going to figure out where, you know, we're looking at max effort dynamic, five rep maxes, three maxes. We were literally in recording and testing everything yeah, we each could. percent each speed rep oh, sets to, to, to the point where we were doing like one arm dumbbell snatches mm -hmm. and trying to like get the tendo on those to see <laughs> so we, we like took a turn into the ridiculous and uh we got to the point where we were going to test one rms on the deadlift and we set up the tendo and luke goes and pulls uh i think it was like 12 seconds no dude first off it was like maybe what, 600 pounds that's okay maybe no, 5 515 yeah, or 5 520 i'm not a good deadlifter but no it was like we <laughs> like i i broke i cracked it off the floor and i was gonna give up because i didn't feel it moving but you know my training partner here that you trust so, your life and said you got it so i just kept going it's like keep going and then it was like 15 seconds later I finished the lift. <laughs> was, I mean, and the, the recording number on Nintendo, like it all of a sudden beeped, and I was like, I don't even know if I can record that. Zero, 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 one. zero. Yeah, one. <laughs> and he, he cracked it, and I was like, you got it. And he literally stayed in the fight and pulled this deadlift. Mm -hmm. It was the slowest, most disgusting, worst thing I've ever seen in my life, but he somehow gets it, drops it. And ever since then, anytime he touches a bar to pull it off the ground, Got instantly the he gets the flu. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I, I like, he's like, I'm allergic to deadlifting. I'm like, yeah, either that or you just stress your nervous system to the point where you're completely worthless. Or as Ed says, Ed Costner said, or I'm just a huge vagina. So, vagina. <laughs> but I got to talk to the male guy. So okay, go ahead, guys. No problem. Yeah, no, it was, it was pretty hilarious. I uh, definitely get a laugh out of Luke. So at least we try to deadlift or pull something heavy. And even though we're not huge fans of uh, deadlifting because of Luke getting sick, I got feel like you almost have to do it once a week just to kind of like strength check yourself a little bit just to kind of see, okay, everything's still firing, you know, like everything's not too far off of base. Yeah, you might might as well make him throw up once in a while too, just for fun, right? Oh, dude, that was today. Uh, how far uh, are you from Bloomfield Hills? Really close. And Livonia? Super close. Okay, so uh, Doug Brzezinski, who I played with at the Eagles, who played at Boston College, was from Livonia. And then my offensive line coach my last year at Cal was a guy named Monty Clark, who was from Bloomfield Hills and used to be head coach for the Detroit Lions. I was going to say, I know, I know him from the Lions, yeah. and, my, and my wife grew up in Livonia. Okay. What, high, what high school you guy went to? Uh, it, was right. a, it, it was a Catholic school, I think. Oh, he might have gone to Catholic Central. I think, I think he went to a Catholic school. Yeah. Because he ended up going to Boston College, which was, uh, you know, obviously, you know, a religious school. So I think he went to Jesuit, some. Yeah. Best ah, cool. Yeah, yeah. Really, really, really close to me. Oh, that was, yeah. Small world? Small world. It is. 
It always is, isn't it? Yeah. So what? Uh, uh, you see, you do a lot of uh, NFL combine prep. You do that, but obviously, probably the majority of your clientele is high school athletes. Yeah, I would say that you know our our business is run on middle school and high school athletes. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we go to several different high schools and serve as kind of their strength and conditioning coaches after school. So we get you know exposure to a ton of kids there, and then kids coming in to do more individualized stuff. Um, you know, it's yes, yes. We get a lot of a lot of high school, middle school age kids. Um, we're inside of a huge indoor turf complex. Um, I. I I hate saying it's the largest one in the world, but because there may be a bigger one, but I've never seen one bigger than this place. And so there's a ton of soccer. Soccer just runs this place with, uh, you know, they ran out the fields and everything. So we get a lot of soccer players, mm-hmm. get a ton of football players. Um, but then we get a mix of other, you know, like volleyball and a lot of hockey because we're in Detroit. So we see a mix of things um, in the summers, lots of college athletes. And then, um, Obviously, you know, you get that sprinkling of NFL guys, but not too many guys that play in the NFL want to pick Detroit as their spot to live for the rest of their life. Why? Uh, you know, it's funny. What, we do have one guy. He's, uh, he starts for the, um, for the Chargers, and he's from Detroit, and he actually loves working out here so much and loves being in Detroit. He bought a house kind of down the street, and I thought, like, you could live in San Diego year-round, and you're going to come back here, so... I don't know. So, well, he probably bought the house for $45,000 cash <laughs> and he bought the rest of the lot for another hundred cash. So I mean, he probably has like, you know, seven square miles, you know, I mean, like, he's probably just looking at tab return. He's like, the market has to come back in Detroit at some point. Well, he's not in Detroit. He's in one of the suburbs, but yeah, you're right. That That's kind of how, what happened to the housing market here a few years ago. For oh sure. my gosh. Um, well, well, let's jump into it, Jim. Can we get people faster or not? Because we've been telling people you're stuck with whatever you got, right? So I'm just, this, is, this is one of the biggest topics that I, I, I want to get into and especially lead off with. So you said you started your business in 2002. Yep. You had to explain it. So now uh, I, got, I got your book here, Ultimate Speed and Agility, and your lead off, your introduction is you can improve speed. So this is a, a roadblock that we run into with a lot of people. They feel you can't. So let's, uh, let's see how you came to that conclusion. And then what's, what's your pitch that you can improve speed? All right. So, I mean, we're going to get into some stuff now, but first of all, for the first, you know, many years that we were here, um, we would do pre-tests and post-tests with every single athlete. And we would test them on all sorts of things. A 40 yard dash um, was one of them. And, you know, through the, through the training process, we were able to to get an average of two tenths of a second off their 40 yard dash in six weeks. And then with all the NFL stuff that I do, I mean, I get, I haven't quantified it, but we get really good results with these guys too. So what I started realizing is how important mechanics are to the whole process. And it was really backed up for me a couple of years back. Um, a guy in Texas, I think it was, um, put a study out that showed that, um, that when you're looking at correlations of lifts and, and power outputs to speed training, um, total, the total amount of vertical force put into the ground had no correlation to, to sprinting speed. But the, they called it force orientation or like the, the angle in which the force is put into the ground, so essentially mechanics. Um, that was what correlated to speed. So basically he was showing that you know, yeah, you can put a ton of power into the ground, but if you put it into the ground in the wrong way, 
um, it doesn't improve speed. Well, then, you know, fast forward a couple years, and now this is back in, I think, 2014, um, Peter Wayand, who I don't know if you, I don't know if your listeners are, are science geeks or not, and research geeks or not, but this guy's done a ton of work on, on speed training and using um, force platforms on the ground, using high-speed treadmills, using kind of everything. And he did this huge study showing that um, it reaffirmed what was in that other study, that total amount of force and vertical force really had nothing to do with speed. It was all force orientation or the angle that the force goes into the ground. And what he found was that elite sprinters, so the fastest people in the world, they only put about 30% more force into the ground than the rest of us. So yeah, it's a little bit more, but not that much more. Yet they're able to run 80% faster than, than everybody else. So what he realized is, look, it's not how much force you're putting into the ground, it's how you're putting it into the ground, which is exactly what, you know, some of us have been talking about for years that, that proper running mechanics are going to change your speed more so than just getting strong. Now, once you have good mechanics, then all that extra strength and power that you're developing in the weight room and from, you know, with lots of different tools, then you're actually able to apply it correctly and you're going to get something out of it. But, you know, that's why you see like the, the, the strongest kid on the high school football team, you know, or the, even the strongest people in the world, they're not the fastest people in the world. And if, you know, if you went with the philosophy that, yeah, the stronger you are, you know, the faster you're going to be, then that would mean that the strongest people in the world are really fast and the fastest people in the world are really strong. But Usain Bolt is far from the strongest guy in the, in the world. And he is clearly the fastest person that's ever walked the face of the earth. Well, that, that and also they just had a whole study about, um, you know, everybody talks about, uh, uh, a reducing ground contact, uh, yeah, ground contact time uh, you know that the faster you can get your foot off the ground which is kind of the post deal uh, and they did a huge study where actually he leaves his foot on the ground longer than any of the other sprinters absolutely and because of that he's able to generate more force and use it for you know more I guess you could say horizontal displacement absolutely uh, you know but yeah so it was pretty fascinating because I mean the um, I mean that's always been the idea is you know if you the faster you can get your foot off the ground the faster turnover you can and you know be able to get more, you know, I mean, uh, stride, stride for length, stride frequency, and, you know, all the other coaching cues that people throw at you. But I remember I was just reading that one being like, hmm. damn, I think we got to go back and look at these things. It seems like, uh, you know, whenever we think we have it figured out, somebody comes and kind of breaks the mold, obviously, like you But could that just be um, kind of like the N equals one, or like, I guess in the upper echelon, there is a refinement of those types of statistics and measures because that's, that clearly is working for them, right? And it gets them faster. But when you're talking about middle school, high school kids who really like fall way outside the bell curve on the other end, do some of these things still hold true? Like, all right, let's just get more uh, um, or minimize ground contact time and, well, and start to well, really he, dial in. He makes a, a, a phenomenal point that you can actually relate just to, to cars, for example. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I mean, if, uh, if you put, you know, a thousand horsepower in a car, but yet you know, the wheel's locked in a position and it just goes straight opposed from something that's able to move. I mean, it's like, you know, how much can you really get to the ground? How is it applied? Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, mechanics at the end of the day seems like, you know, yeah, I mean, square one, yeah, square one. I mean, I, I, you know, and you know this from, you know, brought the analogy up earlier from uh, playing football. I mean, the strongest guys in the planet aren't the guys that are playing in the NFL. Bill, uh, Bill Kazmaier, world's strongest man, tried to go out and play in the NFL and didn't get out of, you know, day two of the training camp. Yeah, it was all about strength. And I mean, I used to play with guys and dude, I've wrote on my blog a hundred times. I remember going in and seeing this defensive lineman rep out 600 pounds on the bench. And I'm thinking to myself, fuck, 
this dude's going to crush me. I went out there and I lined up against him and the dude literally knocked the guy ass over tea kettle. And thinking to myself, I mean, it just so happened he stood straight up and did this. <laughs> and I like put my helmet through his chin and the dude did like a, you know, like a somersault. And uh, I remember thinking like, shit, if this dude just like put his hands on me, he probably would have pushed me off. But yet like didn't understand, you know, not only how to, you know. Uh, well, the mechanics essentially, yeah. right? <clears throat> yeah. I, I guess how to use your body as a weapon. Yeah, it's funny you said that because I was at uh, one of the NFL pro days I was at this past year. This kid came from a small school and like, was crazy good at all the tests. I think he benched, you know, 225, like 40 sometimes and um, was, I mean, he just blew all the testing away. And when he started doing his position drills, I was standing next to one of the scouts and I said, man, did you see this kid's tests? And he goes, yeah, that's why he's probably not going to ever make it. And I was like, what are you, what are you talking about? He goes, yeah, everybody that tests like that, they, they never make it. They're, they're too good at that stuff and they can't play football. Well, I mean, you know, football is one of those weird things that takes like a thousand different, you know, uh, abilities to kind of do it. And I remember the weirder and more awkward a guy was, the more I was like, oh, shit. Like, <laughs> like I, I remember. Uh, you guys Alon- got one crazy eye. Well, or- that, well that was like Alonzo Spellman. Um, you know, yeah, the guy was like 6'3", but he had like a seven foot four wingspan and he was mm-hmm. like bow-legged and pigeon-toed and like kind of like walked like he was almost like, oh my God. And the dude literally came off the rock and like you know, split your head open. And, yeah. uh, you know, and I mean, but, uh, I don't know if you remember, there was a, we had a center at the Eagles, a guy named uh, Hank Fraley. And um, yeah. his nickname was Honeybun because he looked like he drove a Honeybun truck for Hostess. He was uh, <laughs> the worst body in the world. I mean, to the point where like, we would go places and people would be like, you play football? Like, they thought he was a guy that won the contest to be an equal for the day. And, um, but you know what, dude? Like, the guy was fast, was agile, and could just fucking play. And was, like, this weird kind of awkward athlete to the point where defensive linemen were like, I don't want to play against him. He's got this, like, weird, you know, kind of deal. <laughs> and uh, that that's kind of the, the land of genetic freaks, which is, you know, professional sports. So I sometimes wonder with, you know, like, you look at a guy like Usain Bolt or, you know, Tyson Gay or these other different sprinters, if we're just looking at, like, these genetic freaks. Oh, I sure. mean, it, it, it's like, um, and you, you know this, like, uh, after Michael Johnson won – all those gold medals, of course, it was 90 and 90. And like, you know, everybody went back and was trying to, you know, do what Michael Johnson did. And he was just fit within those perfect anthropometrical ratios that allowed him to do that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so Luke, you were bringing up, like, what do you do with the younger kids though? You know, is it all about mechanics? And um, honestly, like, yeah, that's where we should be starting. Um, But we don't. And nobody teaches kids how to run anymore. It's all sports, you know, sports specific skills. And you've got tons of sports skill instruction now. I mean, there's a baseball training center, like at every corner um, around us. There's people doing volleyball lessons and soccer lessons and stuff like that. Um, And PE is getting cut left and right from our school systems. And even if it was there, uh, PE instructors don't, teach running mechanics. Um, that's just something that they don't do really. It's just not part of the curriculum. So, it, you know, we, we do need to probably bring that back and teach kids how to run better. Um, but in order to take advantage of decent mechanics, yeah, there has to be a, a certain baseline of strength because when you do, when you do use good mechanics, you're putting a lot of force into the ground. And if somebody's body is too weak to even control that, then yeah, they're going to, there's going to be Um, stuff going all over the place. So yeah, you kind of have to time it up, right? What's hard for, uh, for me and for, for, you know, people that do this kind of stuff is that the optimal age to 
teach people this stuff is when they're younger. So when they're, you know, somewhere between eight and 11, the problem at that age is they don't care. So uh, wait, wait, hold on, not to catch you off. So if uh, the optimal age is eight to 11, can, if, if I had an eight year old little boy and I call you up and I said, Hey, I want to bring him down. Um, I'm, I will happily play for one-on-one uh, -on -one personal training with you. I want you to teach my son to run. I'm going to bring him three days a week and I show up with my eight year old son. Take me through the process. Well, I, I wouldn't train an eight-year-old one-on-one three days a week. That would be, a, a, in my opinion, like not the best use of anyone's time and it wouldn't be fun for him. But we would put him in what we call our youth performance program. And it's more of a group setting where there's lots of kids. And rather than breaking down mechanics with them, we're teaching them how to like how to use their body, spatial awareness, what their body can do, how it's supposed to move, how things are supposed to feel. We're teaching basic um, strength movements like lunges and push-ups, and you know, holding a plank and holding different static positions. And then we're getting them used to using some movements in games. So we may, you know, for the day we may be working on staying on the balls of their feet, and then we are going to play a game, maybe tag or something like that. And during that game, you're going to reinforce what they're supposed to be doing. Um, it's not so much about like, here, everybody get on the, get on the line. We're going to do speed drills because that's going to turn a kid off so fast that, you know, they're never going to, they're never going to get to 13 and want to train anymore. So it's got to be, you know, somewhat fun. It, it, Yes, we, we, we push them. So they, there's a conditioning component to it. You know, kids are, kids are able to do that. And some younger kids really like that. They get into that. Um, but it's got to be, it's got to be enjoyable. And for us, we teach more than just mechanics. So there's also the ability to, to listen to directions and follow them. There's um, the ability to cooperate with other kids. There's the ability to encourage other kids when they're doing something um, well and not discourage kids when they're not doing things well. So there's a lot more to it um, than just teaching mechanics. Uh, we're trying to kind of develop a more complete athlete at that age. And then after they flew, oh, go ahead, Tex. No, no, no. Let's let's stick with that. I was going to get in, uh, but yeah. No, I, so then, so I thought it was great because actually I was hoping for that exact answer. Not yes. like, yes, I'm going to bring your son in three days a week and we're doing nothing but run mechanics. Because, I mean, if you think about it, at the end of the day, uh, I, I mean, I'm sure you've had that exact, uh, you know, request because I have too. I had a yep. guy who hit me up about with his 12-year-old son and said that uh, he wanted to pay me an X amount of dollars if I could guarantee that his son would get a football scholarship. And the kid was 12. Yeah, you're like I can't do that. Yeah, and I, but I can. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, send him to Luke. <laughs> but, but I mean, that's that's the the issue we run into is that um, people are so highly focused on this idea of sport performance that they feel that you know, and, and dude, I've always uh, you know, whenever people ask me, I'm like, dude, let your kid play as much as they can. Let them go outside and swing and swim and you know, vertical displacement and jump and you know, just move and learn to move out there because the minute you put them in sport and it's something organized then, you know, there's obviously a certain talent or a certain set of movements that are going to benefit that. And that might not foster athleticism because what we found is that the most athletic people in the world can literally do everything well. So, and, and I, I used to run in that all the time with guys that were like really good football players, but yet, you know, go out and they couldn't shoot a basket or if you asked them to do anything outside of the realm of which they were already doing it, they really struggled. But yet, I, you know, I played with guys who could, you know, throw a football and still go out and were scratch golfers. Yeah. You know, but yet to shoot a basket and do, you know, just really were graceful and learn to move. And um, most of those guys were multi-sport athletes and did a lot of things when they were young. So it seems like, you know, but, you know, we're also in a time too, like where they're cutting out PE and, you know, literally kids going outside and playing is not the norm. I mean, we're about the same age. And I remember when I was a kid, it was like, 
my mom was like, leave. Don't come back till it gets dark. If yeah, I see street you, lights come on. I'll yeah, see you there. Oh, yeah. And, you know, like we would ride our bikes or, you know, go and, you know, create games and throw rocks at each other. So, oh, yeah. The old rock tag. Yeah, that, was, that, was, that was my brother and I's favorite game. <laughs> That's how you learned to run fast because you were trying to get away from rocks hitting you in the back. Well, well dude, I, ironically, uh, I've, I've told the story before. Um, I used to be pretty fast when I was a kid. And then uh, I grew like pretty tall, pretty fast. Mm. And all of a sudden I wasn't slow. I was pretty slow and I couldn't run fast anymore. And I remember in seventh, like this was in sixth grade, and then in seventh grade, uh, I was like really struggling. And I remember asking my mom, I was like, "Mom, I don't, I'm not fast anymore. Like, I need to, like, there's got to be somebody to show me to run." And my mom's like, "Oh, that makes sense." And so she hit up my dad. My dad's like, "I'm not paying to, t- to get somebody to teach him how to run." He's running right yeah, now. Yeah, Look yeah, at yeah, him. Just go run. <laughs> well, where things got dire was um, we had timed runs every Friday in PE. And if you didn't run within a certain time, you got a low grade. And I got a C on my run. And I was so mortified that I was going to get a C in PE that I asked the teacher, is there like anything I can do? And she's like, well, you can come and do makeup runs uh, after school on Fridays and I'll give you extra grades. So I literally ran after school every Friday so I could get an extra grade in so that I would get an A in PE because there was no way I was coming home with a C in PE for my mom. My mom ridiculed me to death (laughs) and like ended up doing that uh, for seventh and eighth grade. And like, it was so confusing me because I, I like remembered that I used to be fast and then all of a sudden I grew and I was so uncoordinated that I just couldn't like make it happen. And uh, it wasn't until I started actually lifting weights the freshman and sophomore in high school where everything started kind of wiring up and I got fast again. And um, I mean, if I hadn't found lifting weights and you know, like now that I understand the physiology of, you know, uh, um, you know, wiring up the nervous system and you know, all these other things that... Uh, if I hadn't found lifting weights, I mean, I probably, you know, and also joining the track team was helpful, you know, just because I wanted to learn to run. And I yeah. figured if I was around people that knew how to run it, maybe I could get some coaching. And so, you know, that was kind of my story, which is kind of funny when I tell people, they look at me like I'm crazy. They were like, at 12 years old, you were too embarrassed to get a grade. I'm like, dude, embarrassment and fear is a great motivator, especially for a kid. <laughs> Oddly enough, though, that's probably not the norm these days. No, you're right. I think it's funny. The, the part of that story that strikes me is that here's a guy that played in the NFL for years and in middle school, he was going to get a C in PE because he couldn't run very well, <laughs> you know, because nobody was showing you how to do it. Um, you know, so you, so you had to learn. And, and, it, and it's funny that you brought that up because that, that question gets, gets uh, answered on our phones all the time. People calling up saying like, Hey, my kid, like, I hate to say it about him, but he just runs kind of weird is that something maybe you can help with and it's you know it I don't like to be a salesman on the phone but I'm like that's exactly what we do you know like bring your kid in we will fix that and I I honestly get um, just a big just as big of, of a bang out of having a kid who is at that point in their life where you know maybe they're in middle school and in every sprint on the football field or the baseball field or whatever it is, they're the last one. And they're just about at that point where they're like, screw sports. Like, I'm not good at this. I'm embarrassed. I don't want to do this anymore. Um, We can get that kid to, you know, if we can get him a little faster and he's in the middle of the pack where nobody notices him and people aren't having to do extra stuff because he's so slow, um, that changes a sport experience for a kid. And we've, you know, I love that just as much as helping a kid get, you know, a scholarship or into the NFL. Now, Jim, I don't know if there's probably like a single answer to this, but when you, something to some of the guys that I played with, you know, granted I was a high school all-star, no big deal, didn't go any further than that. Uh, but, but like you remember those guys who were just always trucking along in the back end. Is there like a, um, like what are the common 
limiting factors for those guys with speeds? I mean, I understand probably mechanics is the global answer, but is there anything a little lower level that you, that just you commonly see with these guys? Um, so you're talking about like in a sprint type of situation? Yeah. Yeah. Sprint. Yeah. Cause I mean, there's a lot of genetic stuff to like, to, to the distance stuff. You're going to see people who are just uh, genetically predisposed to being really good at, at more aerobic stuff and really bad at it. So there's a lot of genetics that go on there and there are genetics for speed as well. Like, like the first question that Tex asked was, can, you know, can we make people faster? And I said, yes, but we, we can't necessarily make somebody fast. We can make somebody faster than what they are, but that doesn't mean that we're going to take, a, you know, some ge- genetic trash can and turn them into, you know, a, a world record holder. Genetic trash can. I love that. Term. <laughs> 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 My dad hit me up about getting his kid a football scholarship and actually uh, um, they called on the phone and I had the guy come on a Saturday and I was like, Hey, can you bring, you know, come down? I'd like to meet you and the kid. And the dad showed up and uh, the dad was about five foot seven. And I like, when I met him, I was like, uh, is your mom like six, five, <laughs> a six foot five Icelandic woman. Yeah. Icelandic woman that, you know, like maybe, uh, like, uh, what is there? Like the Deanna or what was the, uh, the Norwegian sprinter girl, uh, snipers. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Like I was like, she's not your cousin or anything. And it's uh, <laughs> like, no, I'm always about my size. I was like, Oh, so, so why do you want to play football? Yeah. You know, and, uh, and like the guy, you know, and the guy asked me, he's like, well, I'm like, I was one of the smaller athletic dudes at about six, six, 300 pounds on my offensive line. I was like, I played next to a dude that was six, eight, 340. And that was 340 after sitting in the sauna for three hours before a weigh in. And, uh, yeah. I was like, dude, like, like you're, you're talking about a game of genetic freaks, like people that are anomalies. And it's just, you know, I'm like, you know, why don't you just focus on having a good experience? Like, I mean, because that's what everybody is. Everybody's always looking at the long game. And I'm like, why don't you just enjoy what you're doing today? And if you get the opportunity to go on and do it longer, then, you know, good job. Good on you. Mm-hmm. And, um, but, you know, everybody's looking for, you know, for surety. I mean, it's, uh, I, I can only imagine um, <clears throat> the kids that seem to foster or I'm sure that uh, seem to grow most in your program are the ones who probably have a good time, have fun, and really just kind of get into it. And you probably see that too. Yeah, absolutely. And, and those are the kids that, you know, they, they end up coming back and wanting to do this for a living and, you know, or they, you know, they want to do an internship later on, or, you know, they bring their kids back. Like literally just before we got, you know, on this call, I had a guy who I coached um, when he was a college baseball player and he just brought his daughter in here who just signed to play division one college softball, you know? And, and so that kind of stuff, when, when you have a good experience with a strength and conditioning coach or some sort some sort of program like that, um, I, I can't tell you how much it means when we have like those second generation athletes come through here. It's just a really, it's a cool feeling. Do you feel the uh, apple doesn't fall far from the tree that usually when you see the children come in in that environment that you can see their, their parents in them? Um, yeah. You know, it's funny that you say that not all the time, but, um, but sometimes you can. And uh, sometimes the kids are better than their parents, you know, and then other times um, there's too much pressure. Uh, on the kid. Uh, yeah, yeah. I think, I think the better the parent is, um, the, the more that kid should probably steer away or steer into a different sport because it's, it's too much pressure on that kid to, to try to live up to that. Yeah. The, uh, um, I know Ed McCaffrey and, uh, every time I get to, you know, I'm a lady Cal and I hate Stanford, even though, you know, but like I always root for Ed McCaffrey's son. Like whenever I see him play, I mean, the kid's unbelievable. And they, I mean, I can't, I'm still amazed to give the kid as many touches as they can. They're going to run his legs out. Yeah. Like seeing him, 
his dad was a good player. His son is a phenomenal player. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, like to me, that's, uh, you know, because the one thing that's universal about the NFL is, um, you know, all the guys have kids. And I remember, you know, everybody, you know, kids being in locker room, training camp all around. And what's always interesting is when I see the last names, like a John Runyon, for example. Um, you know, John played in Michigan. And yeah, from Michigan. Michigan. Eagles. Yeah, I mean, I remember John Daniel, his son, as just a little tiny boy. I mean, literally like four or five years old. And to see him now playing for Michigan, uh, you know, to me, it kind of like always gives me goosebumps that, you know, here's a situation where, you know, like this little boy, these little kids that I knew are all of a sudden growing up and becoming football players or seeing their names. It's pretty, it's always cool to see that. It's really, really cool. So, you know, you brought up Michigan and we're talking about speed training. So for the past three years, um, Michigan's football program has hired me to go to campus in the winter and train their guys for, for uh, pro days and NFL stuff. Um, and that has been, a, that has been a great experience too. Um, getting to see, you know, that level of athlete and what's really interesting is not just those guys, but you know, all these guys getting ready for the NFL, going back to the mechanics stuff, you, you see these guys on the first day and you say, okay, I'm just going to watch you run here and you have them, you know, time a 10 or a 40 or something. And every time I, I get a smile kind of inside, I don't like to, you know, like laugh about it, but I'm like, <laughs> I'm for sure going to, you know, improve your time because you suck at this, you know, like <laughs> you don't know how to do this, you know? So yeah, we're going to get better for sure. Um, and you're moving really fast. <laughs> yeah. You're already, yeah. yeah, you're already doing this and your mechanics blow. So like, this is going to be good. Like we're going to put some stuff together and you're going to have a good pro day. Yeah. I remember when uh, I went to Berkeley, one of the running backs that was in my uh, signing class in my recruiting class ran like a 10, 300 mm. and uh, coming out of high school. And he was one of the fastest guys, uh, Brandon Willis. And he ran on the track team. And I remember uh, us just, you know, after practice doing sprints. And I remember one of like the older guys called him out and, uh, that dude literally rocketed to the point where I was like, Holy shit, that's a fast dude, you know, but like so smooth and just, you know, like you could see like, you know, like you're watching him run against other guys and you could see the level of like, like just so efficient in his movement. I remember thinking like, if I could ever run with that level of efficiency, I mean, he was moving fast, but it wasn't like, you know, oh, I want to be fast like that. Like, it just was so clean and efficient, you know, and it's like the same thing you watch uh, when you watch the professionals or, you know, track or any of the high level people, just the, uh, I guess you could say the lack of, you know, mistake or the lack or it's like the grace, like it's yeah, graceful, yeah, it, effortless. It, it looks good. It looks easy. And like, yeah. I think that's what we always strive for. And like, that's really the mark for athleticism. And, um, you know, for years, we've always asked people, like, can you define athleticism? And really, people can't, you know, they give you a million different adjectives, but at the end of the day, it's one of those things when you see it, you know it. It's like the natural coach's eye. It's almost like, yeah, like, like I'm sure you've, you've watched guys run and you just kind of like let out a sigh and like, oh, thank God. Yeah, yeah. And you just do, you know, everything just looks graceful. It's appealing the way they move through space, their body's ability to move in relationship to other objects and all that. And then, you know, you just probably give them some mechanics and clean up the efficiency. And uh, next thing you know, people are doing what yeah. they do. Even cooler is when, like I coach a lot of my kids' sports, when you see a kid who's eight, nine, ten years old, and he is just like running with like perfect form. And, you know, you ask like, oh, hey, do you do like some track or something? And the parents are like, no. And you just realize like some kids are just hooked up. Yeah. You know, their nervous systems are just hooked up and they learned a pattern that works for them. And if it's reinforced, you know, those kids are going to do something and you can, you can spot it pretty early on. 
So do you think there's anything that uh, um, develops that from a young age? Like if you were to take um, two kids and obviously different genetics and you put them in a similar situation, is it like, I mean, because I, I always love to listen to people try to give me these examples like, oh, I never would let my kid wear shoes. And for some reason, they've been faster because of that, you know, the Zola Bud thing. Yeah. Or, uh, um, you know, we did that, you know, and it's always, uh, you know, like, I just wonder if anything you've ever come across where you're like, oh, man, that was pretty insightful. Unfortunately, no. Like, I think that there's a lot of quackery, you know, mm-hmm. and there's, you know, people that, um, I mean, you've seen it probably a million times, John, where people say like, well, you know, I, I got to the NFL because of this. And you're like, no, that had nothing to do with the <laughs> NFL. You know, like you, you got to the NFL despite, you know, a lot of the stuff that yeah. you actually did. Um, so, no, I, you know, I think, I think the more kids play and, and are, they're outside running around doing, you know, lots of activities and being um, – uncoached if you will so there's not somebody like saying okay here's what we're gonna do today you're gonna all play this game and here's the rules like the more they can play and run around and do stuff um they 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 kind of start to develop those things if 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 kids are racing each other you know they're they're gonna they're gonna get better at racing each other and you know that's why those all those jamaican guys are so fast that's what they do like they they race each other that's all they do they're not over there playing football and basketball they're they're literally racing each other every single day um whereas we've we've got so many distractions and uh different things that we do that i i I don't know if that's the answer you were looking for there, but I, well, I, I, let's kind well, of dive into that though. Let's well, go into the deal. I'm, I'm, I'm not really looking for any answer. I'm <laughs> just uh, like, for me, um, all this stuff is about, it's just really just, uh, you know, I think it's really just me getting hit with questions over the years. Yeah. Because, uh, for me, like I really can't tell you, like I, I had two older brothers to both play college football and they're both about my size and why they didn't get an opportunity to go play in the NFL and what was different about me. I couldn't really tell you anything about it. Uh, I knew when I went to the weight room and, and I got stronger in spite of uh, really not knowing anything about lifting weights and not listening to anybody and just going in there and just trying to max out every day and uh, had a bunch of stupid injuries. Like I thought I could run the hurdles and I ended up catching the foot and driving my knee in the ground and had like terrible patellar tendonitis ever since. And like, uh, you know, which ended up, I ended up rupturing at my, my first NFL start in my uh, rookie year. I mean, so like I had a host of injuries from just doing stupid things, trying to, you know, just screw around. And, um, you know, so like I always think, and you, you made a great point, uh, success in spite, because a lot of the guys that I played with in the NFL, unless they were going to get killed off at a young age, were going to end up in the NFL, despite of everything they did. I mean, like, you know. Uh, you know, like I always tell a story, there's a guy named Brian Waters that I played with who was uh, so strong, like ridiculously strong, hadn't lifted weights in six months, basically sat on his couch and just ate and watched TV and hung out with his kids. And um, he looked it when he came back, but I watched him literally, I think it was like 545 on the bar for like a set of six in probably under seven seconds. Like he moved the bar so fast and he got up and he was like, I was that? And I'm like, shit. I mean, Willie Rope was another one. I mean, uh, you know, Willie was on the all decade team. Uh, We lined up to run some sprints one time and Willie took off with like probably whatever reserve he'd been keeping for the last 15 years and like smoked DBs. (laughs) I mean, to the point where I was like, I've never seen that old man run that fast. I mean, so like that's, that, that's the world I come from. And when people ask me these questions, I'm like, honestly, I can't really tell you 
what was different about me or why this worked. It just happened that I could do the job and I saw everything in slow motion. So I, w- I want to get into what we can do. So okay. in your book, you discuss basic training concepts. So that, that, that kiss, keep it simple, stupid. So, uh, and the first one is learn optimal movement mechanics. Could you walk us through uh, those basic training concepts so that we can direct these people in the right direction? Yeah, sure. So, um, I think people need to understand that for speed training, you got to look at two different phases of sprinting. You've got acceleration mechanics and then you've got top end mechanics and they are dramatically different. And people, I think sometimes confuse those two things. Um, so things, you know, some very basic things to think about. Um, and I break it all down in, in that book. If you read, you know, very far in there, we really break down mechanics. People's arm swing is important just mainly to stabilize the spine and create, you know, the reciprocal, uh, force like, so they can get their knees up. Um, arm swing is, is one thing that looks really weird and people notice, um, you know, and we have a lot of parents saying, you know, my, the kids' arms are weird, you know, doing weird things changing people's arm swing is really easy. We can do that quick. Like that's, that's the least of my concerns. What they're doing with their legs is more the problem. Um, you know, I, I talk about, um, I talk about Fred Flintstone all the time and you guys may be old enough to have watched Fred Flintstone, but I, I ask people, you know, like have, it's funny how, how many kids still have still know who Fred Flintstone is, but I always talk about, you know, Picture Fred Flintstone driving his car. He's got no motor and he's driving his car with his feet. What does Fred Flintstone do with his feet when he, uh, when he wants to stop his car? And everybody, you know, puts their heels out and like, shows me the motion of putting their heels down on the ground. And I explain, like, that is real physics. Like, the Flintstones were teaching us physics. If your heels hit the ground out in front of you, you are putting the brakes on. And we know from science and force plate, um, you know, studies that on every single step, there is first a braking force and then it turns into a propulsive force. And the, the goal of speed training is to limit the amount of braking that goes on and maximize the propulsion that goes on. And the first thing that you have to look at is foot placement in relationship to their body. And if that foot is out in front of them and they're overstriding, not only is it putting the brakes on, but that is where a lot of injuries occur. So when, when you, you know, hear guys talking about, um, you know, I pulled my hamstring when I was sprinting, like I must have weak hamstrings. No, you probably don't have weak hamstrings. You probably were overstriding and did something, you know, you had bad mechanics, probably. And that's not all the time, but that's like one of the most common things. So um, staying off your, off of your heels and staying on the balls of your foot, that's, that's first thing that a lot of people need to change. Um, getting their people getting their knees up higher than they're used to is another thing that a lot of people can quickly change. Um, and then acceleration, like I said, is such a different thing, but, um, I spend a ton of time teaching acceleration and then like speaking about acceleration at coaches conferences, um, because it's such an important concept in sports. Um, but acceleration, like you have to have a forward lean, you have to get your knees up extremely high, um, greater than 90 degrees compared to, compared to your body. So that your knees are getting up even higher um, than normal. Um, you have to drive your feet backwards. So you have to create those angles like we talked about earlier, like the force application angles. The angle has to be, you know, really steep on those first few steps. And then um, I know that, you know, we, we brought in a little bit of science and, you know, and physics, but 
Um, I think John brought up how Usain Bolt's um, ground contact time or foot contact time was longer. Well, foot contact time on the first couple steps is about twice as long as when you get up to speed. And I try to explain to kids all the time, look, if you're going to actually accelerate. And so acceleration is essentially overcoming inertia. Like your body wants to stay still, which is inertia. So you're trying to overcome that to accelerate. Well, a longer impulse into the ground overcomes inertia faster than a short impulse. So people need to understand, like if you get behind a car and you're going to push a car, you don't get behind it and start going, they're taking a bunch of dinky little steps. You know, you're driving hard and it's a long step and then it's a slightly shorter step and, you know, the, then you start to speed up. So the rhythm starts to pick up. But those first few steps need to be long and powerful and you need to get down the field or down the track um, and cover some ground. And a lot of kids at some point were taught like, hey, you got to take a bunch of little fast little steps to get going. And that is the exact opposite of what somebody should be doing. And for sprinting speed, you know, like this is not, you know, just, you know, I'm going out for a workout, you know, because I want to stay in shape. But this is, you know, if you're really trying to work on sprinting speed, if you don't get up to speed quickly and have a good first and second step, it's going to ruin the rest of your sprint. So we spend a ton of time in that. I call it the power position, which is um, it's that first step before it hits the ground. You're on a steep angle. Your knee is up really high. And we do a ton of video analysis where we just not not like like uh, crazy video analysis. Just I use an app on my phone and we you know, I can I can stop it and move forward and backwards. And um, and we break it down and show what they're doing and where they should be moving. And um, really quickly, people see like, oh, I had no idea. I thought my knee was up high. Oh, I thought I was on the ball of my foot. You know, they, they don't really know. So that video feedback, especially for kids these days, um, is really huge. I think people learn better from video. So those are some of the kind of kind of the key points that, that we, um, you know, that we, we hit on and that I speak about a lot. But it's very difficult to talk about speed training. And it's even more difficult to just say, um, for people to say, hey, can you write me up a speed program? Well, sure, I can write you a speed program, but if if you're not going to have good mechanics with it and you're not going to change the mechanics, um, you're you're not going to get as fast as you could get. And without me seeing you and being able to coach you and correct you, um, it's it's not gonna it's not gonna really work. So um, in my in my book and some of my products, you know, there's a lot of um, there's a lot of mechanic stuff in there because I because I know how important it is. But I know that people just skip right to the program because that's what they want. You know, they just want like, well, tell me what to do. Well, I don't want to tell you what to do. I want to tell you how to do it. And, and that, that's what people often, often miss. Again, that's, that's applying value to your coaching. And maybe that's the reason many athletes come back and then bring their kids to you and get into it. Uh, so, I mean, without that understanding of mechanics, then it sets not only the athlete up for failure, but then the coach. You find yourself running into gimmicks bullshit out there kind of speed agility ladders little little pitter patter fast feet stuff oh yeah i mean it's everywhere and unfortunately like youtube videos make it all look really sweet and you see people doing all these like quick ladder drills where they're you know shucking and jiving their feet all over the place um but that's not what happens on the field you know and and it's all about specificity like the principle of specificity is that if you want to get good at something, you have to practice that. And the farther away you get from that specific skill, the, le- the less transfer there is to that skill. So, you know, doing a ladder drill um, 
where you're doing the same movement over and over again, like 30 times, like that doesn't happen. So, you know, my opinion, yeah, ladder drills are good. Warm up drills, they're good general stuff. It's, you know, it's good for general coordination, but it, it's not going to actually make you run faster. Well, the, uh, the one thing I always notice about uh, ladder drills or any of that kind of agility stuff we would do was uh, once you learn the pattern, you could not do it for like six months. I mean, we do it at, at different intervals and you come back and you've never really lost it. Right. Uh, you know, the, the only things that uh, if I didn't train them that went away was uh, in the weight room, the weights never got light and mm-hmm. running never got easy. Mm-hmm. So whenever I talk about like, uh, we, you know, we always run into people like, oh, I found this new conditioning thing and the big one, I'm, I'm, I'm and hate it with a passion is battling ropes. I knew you were gonna fucking say it. Fucking <laughs> I, like this guy was like, "Oh, battling ropes, great workout." And we went and did it once, and it was tired. My arms were tired. And then like we did it again, and I literally got to the point where we were doing it for like thirty minutes straight, and I was fine. And I'm like, dude, the only thing that uh, well, because uh, you're not doing like this one, uh, and then dude, like this so one, stupid, and then dude. like and the burpee like, one. It's it's the dumbest thing I've ever seen. But <laughs> uh, like. Sprinting and running, like there's never a point where I was running as fast as I could where I thought, man, I got this. Or like this, you know, it was, it's like, or walked in the weight room and was like, yeah, put on all that, I can get this. Like it was, and if I leave and I don't run, all of a sudden my mechanics go to shit. Uh, my legs are tired, my back is smoked, I feel like crap, or if I don't go lift the weights, they never got light. So when I always think about, even I do this stuff every day and I still don't go get at it, these are things I need to attack. I mean, and I know it's not sexy to teach mechanics, and that's why people just want the program. They just want to know, you know, the crib notes. But I think is, um, I mean, a text brought it up. Like you think about like different gimmicks or whatever, but is there a set of drills like as an individual like, that you would say, Hey, uh, this drill has great carryover. Like we went to, um, what was it? The deal for elite FTS text where we went and Joe DeFranco got up and talked about, he, he's like, I'm a terrible speed coach. I don't know how to get people faster, but I found that if I have them push a heavy sled, instantly once they went and did something they could run faster and he gave this whole presentation about getting people faster just pushing sleds and i thought it was kind of a i mean it was an interesting thing you think about overloading the central nervous system and getting people to push and teaching them that angle and getting them to load that angle and then having them immediately go over and everybody was running faster i just thought is there anything that you kind of found one-to-one for people listening that maybe you know had good carryover to want to dabble into it yeah. yeah Well, actually, you know, I, I hate to say, you know, there was a study on this, but like, that's kind of what I'm into. And there was a study on sled sprinting and there's a, well, there's been a ton of, ton of studies on sled sprint. So when I'm talking about sled sprint, not pushing, but pulling like a, like a resistance sled. Um, but more recently there was one done showing that if you put a bunch of weight on there and usually they recommend like 15, 20% of your body weight. So it's a pretty lightweight. And this one had like 45 or 50% of an athlete's body weight. And what it showed was they, it, that the people changed their mechanics, but what they did is they just inherently learned how to create horizontal force because they had to, because the weight was so damn heavy that if they were upright and not creating horizontal force, you're not going anywhere. Um, so I do, I, I do that a lot. And, uh, you know, if somebody really feels like, hey, I just don't know how to accelerate properly. Yes, we do that, you know, all the time. Um, We'll, we'll do heavy and light sled work. So that would be one thing to do. Is there, a risk, is there a risk to compromising the mechanics though? If the guy has not dialed in with that, you know, if that's the only exposure they're getting, is that, am I coming off? Is that coming off? Right well, now? no, I mean, um, no, yeah, you're right. Absolutely. I, I, I remember arguing with Todd Rice about this years ago where I, I thought that towing sleds would be beneficial. And he was like, no, it changes your mechanics. 
Whereas we did overspeed in college because he felt that like we would hook up like rubber bands to one guy and he runs and then he pulls you and we would do overspeed that way. He thought that teaching the nervous system to move faster, like, you know, slight downhill running and different other things paid more dividends. Um, but then I remember uh, there was a study where they were putting weights on the hands and the legs to try to, you know, uh, you know, do that. And that completely destroyed people's mechanics. Yep. Now they were having to do, uh, you know, remember like the, the, the hand and leg weights. So, I mean, it's probably for every study, it's, uh, you know, there's 10 that go against it, and I mean, which is, you know, the fun part about it, I guess. But, I yeah, mean, yeah. It's, it's, creating that, it's creating that that potential, that high end, but then providing the opportunity to now coordinate that into your technique that I think a lot of people miss on. Absolutely. Um, so, Luke, you just asked, like, does it have the potential to screw up their mechanics? Yeah, it does. And, you know, if you don't have somebody looking at you and giving you feedback or at least somebody videotaping you so you can see what you're doing, yeah, you can for sure mess it up. And it's the same with overspeed training. Um, tons of evidence showing that people, if you just go, you know, if you go just a little bit too fast on overspeed training, everybody starts to overstride because they're, they can't keep up with it. You know, they're, you're unable to maintain good mechanics. So, just like overspeed training, you know, sleds the same way. It has to be done properly if you want to actually get benefit from it. Um, a lot of studies, though, showing that if you have like 15 to 20% um, of your body weight that you're pulling, it doesn't change the mechanics. The mechanics actually stay the same. Like they do the, um, the kinematic and, uh, you know, studies and, and everything. And they, it, it's the same mechanics. It's just slightly um, weighted. So it's, it's not a big enough change to, to actually mess with a person's mechanic. So it becomes a tool you can use more frequently as opposed to something that does alter mechanics. So when, uh, the one thing which whenever I've seen any of this stuff done efficiently, it's usually like doing something and then immediately going over and doing it on weighted. Bam. Yeah. I mean, mm -hmm. like it, it's almost like you use this as a tool and then you have to go here. Um, do you guys do any like the, um, you know, was it like the Parisi speed school with the, uh, the overspeed treadmills? Uh, you know, there's a, a guy here in Orange County. We went over and trained with him a little bit and he's got this fucking transformer of a treadmill that like goes up and does all this crazy shit. And, uh, they have like five of these things. I think they're like, you know, 40,000 a piece and they bring in people and they do all this overspeed training. And, um, I, I went in and watched, he said, what do you think? And I'm like, I think you're fucking selling gimmicks. <laughs> I mean, you know, like you're paying, you know, like you have this big contraption, but at the end of the day, like you're using this uphill running and a lot of these things to try to teach mechanics that might be just taught better, just teaching people just some basic movement type stuff. Yeah. So, um, so we do, we actually have a, a, a super high speed treadmill and we also have a woodway force treadmill, but then we also have a lot of turf. And if just like anything, like if you know how to use the tool, like it's going to work for you. If you don't know how to use the tool and you're just using it as a gimmick, then it's not going to work for you. Our, our, our treadmills, when we're on them, um, it's all about teaching mechanics. And we then get off, like you were just saying, John, we get off and do contrast training and we go on the ground so that they can learn how to actually apply the techniques that they were just learning onto the ground. Now, there are, there are some cool studies showing that um, at a 20% incline, uh, you have to produce three times as much force on every step compared to overground running. So if you have athletes do multiple sets on about a 20% incline, their nervous system learn, it starts to learn, oh, I have, I have to fire harder. And then when you take them off and put them on the ground, all of a sudden they're still firing harder. They're, they're going to they're gonna, uh, travel longer in the air and everything seems easier. Now that goes away 
obviously that does go away. But once they feel it, now it's like, okay, that's what you're going for. You know, that's what we're going for each time. So the contrast training is what we call it, where you, you know, if you're doing incline running, then you got to get off and do flat ground. If you're doing sled training, you got to get, you know, you have to take it off. When we're using a Vertimax to, you know, to, to increase vertical jump, you do your sets and then you take it off and you do them without. That's, that's kind of where the magic is. And, you know, the, the idea or the theory is that your nervous system upregulates over time by, by learning how to fire harder by, by doing incline sprinting over time, your body, you know, if you're doing it often enough and for a long enough period of time, your body learns that that's the, that's the norm. So that when you're on the ground, now you're firing harder. But if you're just having kids run on a, on a, on a high speed treadmill and they're running with terrible form and you're not having them run on the ground and do these other things, yeah, you're, you're missing out on the boat. And I'd say the same thing with, you know, with strength training. You know, if you're, if you're an athlete and all you do is, um, you know, as lift weights for three months, and then you try to go back and do something, well, you're not going to move the same way. You're going to probably lose a lot of your movement skills because you're not able to, to apply that newfound force. You're not able to use that in any kind of sport activity. You're just stronger at moving a barbell. So you have to, you know, you, you have to continuously do those things. If, if you're going to be an athlete, if you're just a normal dude and you're just trying to look good, like screw it, you just go look good and lift weights. But that's not what we're trying to do. Yeah, I think Luke has some experience of that when he won a state championship. Um, but I'd like to stick with the central nervous system efficiency training because many people that attend our seminar, that's their first exposure to an intensity style sprint. So four to seven reps, running as fast as you can. And at the end of it, they're like, that's it. And they don't understand. So what is your, what is your approach to kind of uh, explaining it to athletes who experience that true CNS and intensity for the first time? Great question. And we experience the same thing um, when we're doing speed training, especially when you're doing technique work. Um, you're going to do short distances. You're going to do high intensity stuff. And then you have to take long breaks because you can't do, you know, you can't, you can't run as fast as you can and then take no break and try to run as fast as you can again, um, it, it's all going to break down. Fatigue sets in really quickly and now your mechanics go to crap and your, your body's ability to move quickly is, is not there. So the fatigue screws everything up. So you have to do it in a, in a fresh state. So all the speed training should be done early on in a, in a workout when you're fresh. Um, you should have short durations and long, long breaks and it's not conditioning. The conditioning should happen at the end of the session when you don't have anything else to do. People don't get it because they're either bored or they aren't capable of um, basically tapping into all of that power from their body. And we see that in younger kids all the time where you see a kid running and you're, you're like, okay, you got to run as fast as you can or you have to you know, move as quickly as you can. And you can tell like they're not doing it. Um, it's the same way with new lifters. You get a, you know, you get somebody who's, uh, relatively new at lifting and, you know, maybe their max on bench press is a hundred pounds, but if you put 90 pounds on, they can do like 15 reps. Well, they just haven't learned how to, you know, how to dig down and give an all out effort. Um, and that's something that has to be learned. And it's the same way, um, with sprinting, you, you have to build up to that and the people who aren't used to it, 
yeah, the workout's going to be really easy for you because you suck at it. You suck so bad at it that it's not going to be hard. But, but guys that are really, really good, they run 15, 20 yards, like, and it's way faster than anybody else. They're tired. They need that break. They understand, like, I can't do that again right now. Like, what, if, what if you're not fast and that happens? Then what's the, what's the problem there? Because that seems to be my problem. Well, then you're a genetic trash can. <laughs> <laughs> So we've been talking kind of speed straight ahead, kind of up tall and go. Well, let's talk a little bit about agility, Tex. I know you had some questions kind of hashed out that you wanted to jump into. So why don't you take it over? Sure. So I think the, the simplest um, kind of breakdown that you have in a book is closed loop versus open loop skills. And uh, many of the agility that sport coaches applied to their practice is that, uh, that closed loop. So why don't you explain for our listeners both of these types of skills and then how to utilize them in training. Okay. So a closed loop skill is something that doesn't require um, a reaction to something else. So it can be practiced and rehearsed and in competition, it's done the same way. Um, Outside stimulation, not, not mentally, like mentally outside stimulation can mess with you, but nothing's impeding you from doing it. And so you think of like gymnastics, um, in gymnastics, you know, you're, you're doing a vault, say a vault movement. There's not like stuff that you have to dodge on the way there. There aren't people, you know, running and they're going to like trip you, you know, you, it's just you and, and the apparatus. I would think, um, some people may argue, well, swimming is the same way. Track is the same way. Yeah, the competitors have something to do with it because, you know, that you, you want to beat somebody, but there's not something that you have to react to. Theoretically, you could, you know, you could be out there all on your own running the same way and, you know, you don't have to react to something. An open loop skill is, um, is when there's a reaction component to it. So, um, you know, in, in, in baseball, like the ball's thrown at you and you, you have to actually react to where the ball is and the timing of it. And um, it's not just swinging a bat like in air and you can do it whenever you want. Football is the same way. Basketball, you know, here's a great example. In, in the game of basketball, you've got both um, closed loop and open loop. Open loop would be, you know, like you're dribbling and you have to get past a defender and make a move and react to what they're doing. Closed loop is a free throw. It's always the same distance away. The, the, you know, the hoop is 10 feet high. Um, you know, it's just, it can be the same every single time. So most of the time, I'd say like 95% of our, uh, of most people's time is uh, training in closed loop environments. We're practicing sprints where we're not reacting to somebody. We're practicing vertical jumps. We're in the weight room. You know, we're, no one's, no one's like throwing stuff at us and we're like having to dodge stuff in the middle of a clean, you know, although that would be a pretty sweet event, I think. Um, Olympic weightlifting, uh, where, where does Olympic weightlifting fit in? I mean, obviously it's kind of closed loop, but you think about your body's movement in relationship to a bar. Um, so Olympic weightlifting is closed loop because this, it, it occurs so quickly that you can't really, once you start the movement, you can't make an adjustment like midway. It's either in, you're either, you either did it or you didn't do it. But Olympic weightlifting on a raft in hot, like with water, <laughs> well, that sounds like some well, I mean, shit. Think, yes. think of a dodgeball. If you can dodge a wrench, you can dodge a ball kind of deal. I mean, that would be open loop. Yeah. Somebody throws a wrench at you. I think that would be sweet. That, that, we, we should make that sport. What, uh, I, Olympic weightlifting where you get to throw wrenches at people or just dodge? 
<laughs> Olympic lifting with somebody throwing stuff. And I think gymnastics the same way with somebody like throwing stuff while you're on the balance beam would be pretty sweet. Well, or just like Terry Tate office linebacker. Yep. Where like that's setting up and you just blast them from the side. They're like, well, I guess they didn't move fast enough. Yeah. So now, so now that we've kind of hashed these out though, besides the wrench throwing. Um, so how do you, I mean, it may be an obvious question for some folks, but how do you incorporate the open loop stuff in training? You know, it, yeah. Close yeah. kind of, uh, you know, you put some cones up, run yeah. around, yada, they, yada, yada. They did, and I'm sure you've heard about it. Like, I remember there was a bunch of NFL testing stuff where we had to go into a room, and they had a whole bunch of lights on a wall. Mm-hmm. And, like, you had to, like, touch a bunch of different things. And, I, I mean, like, I've seen the, the craziest stuff for these type of reaction type movements or put, putting you in controlled environments that require reaction. Mm-hmm. I always thought that, like, to me, that stuff, I mean, while it might be beneficial, I just always thought that uh, – uh, for the way you distinguish shit with truly open loop stuff, it almost has to be another person that's yep. deciding or forcing you to make a decision. Yeah. So, I mean, the, the, the simplest explanation in text, I think this is where you're kind of going with this. It, it, you can't be great at moving in an open loop environment until you're great at doing it closed loop first. So the first thing we always teach is how to do it right in the first place. And then you have to start incorporating some other stuff, some, some outside stimulation. And you can start off really easy with somebody just, if you're a coach, somebody runs at you and you know, before they get to you, you just point one direction or the other and they have to make a cut, you know, and, and then they take off again. Um, agility kind of going back to that agility in my opinion is nothing more than acceleration and then you decelerate make some sort of a move or change your direction and then you have to re-accelerate so in this case somebody accelerates at you when you point your finger you know one way or the other they have to actually change direction and then re-accelerate out of there they can't just like change the direction and then like coast you know they have to actually re-accelerate um, you can then get into more sport specific stuff where somebody is um, say a football player is running a route. Well, now you're going to run a route, but we're also going to be watching what your running mechanics look like. You know, so because a lot of guys will run run a certain way when they're running a forty, and then they go out to run a route, and everything goes to crap. You know, and so they have to they have to establish um, their their nervous system has to establish the motor patterns for a longer period of time until the brain can be taken out of it, and they can actually just do it um, without that cognitive processing. That takes a long time, though. Is, uh, is the football running, or I always think about this, I mean, is the running that somebody would do in a 40, like if they were in a timed event, like a combine or, you know, say a track meet, uh, that running is very different than something that happens on the football field because of probably this open loop versus closed loop where, you know, you almost have to run in a defensive position where you don't know if you're going to get hit at any which point. So, I mean, you watch a guy run, a receiver running down the, the sideline, I mean, he has to be able to sprint full speed, fight off a defender, and be able to rotate his body to catch a ball and still stay in stride. Yeah. So there's only certain times when you're actually using it, you know? And so those certain times are um, like a receiver. It, once he gets off the line, if he's running like some sort of a deep route, he's going to get into like a pure acceleration phase for a few steps. But then when he has to start, you know, dealing with other, you know, outside stimulation, then, then yeah, everything changes. A running back, for example, they, they're not like accelerating as soon as the ball touches their hands. Like they have to wait, find the hole, be patient. And then all of a sudden, bam, now they can, now they can accelerate. And it's more like a pure acceleration, but that only lasts a few steps before somebody's in their way. And then they have to, you know, change things up. Um, I try to explain to a lot of athletes, like, look, you have to understand when to use different movement skills. I'm teaching you how to accelerate, like from a standing two point position. You're not, it's not going to be like this all the time. 
what we're working on is when it is time to do that, you're going to be better at doing that. And like basketball players, when I've worked with high level basketball players, I, I get them to buy into the, into the whole thing because I tell them like, I'm not going to tell you how to play basketball better. We're not going to work on shooting, dribbling. That's not what I'm here for. I'm here for you getting half down half the court faster than you are capable of now. And if you can do that, so if you can accelerate faster, now are you in a position to either have an easy layup or an easy dunk or possibly like swat a shot that you would have missed by three inches before? That's all we're working on is like when to use these kind of skills. So absolutely. Yeah, you got to You got to know. And, and, it, and pure sprinting doesn't really occur in sports. You know, for yeah, and this is that's this is kind of the, the approach we take with athletes is we're teaching the posture and position to react to so that they just kind of fall to the level of high quality posture position that we've experienced and taught in training. And then they don't have to think about it. They're thinking about the play or uh, the whole situation in sport. And it's just an instinct that is that uh, what we taught kind of consciously in uh, in kind of a closed loop scenario. Yeah. It, uh, it takes a while to get to that point. So, you know, we've, there's a bunch of, you know, all the, all the research on um, motor skill development shows that you can develop, you, know, can break, you can break habits and develop a new skill within a couple of weeks of consistent practice. Um, and I like to compare it to juggling. Like if you don't know how to juggle and you start to focus on juggling within a couple of weeks, if you're juggling every single day, you can start to juggle, you know, decently. Um, but you have to think about it. You have to be looking at the balls. You know, if you said, okay, now we're going to juggle and have a conversation while we're walking down the street within, you know, a couple of weeks of practice, isn't going to get it. Now your mind is on something else and you can't juggle, but people that are able to practice for um, a couple of months. And usually from, from what I've seen, it's like six to eight weeks of consistent quality practice, then you can develop the, a lot of people will call it a motor engram, um, or it's the ability to have that motor skill. So patterned into your body that you don't use your brain anymore to, to make it happen. So that's when you actually see the results on the field. Um, we get a lot of parents who within, you know, a week or two, they see the difference in the kid running better in our, in our facility. And they're like, Oh, everything looks great. But then I saw him running on a soccer field and he went right back to his old habits. And I try, have to explain to them, yes, that's going to happen because he's thinking about soccer now. And you, you're going to have to give it several weeks. And that's why our programs are usually a couple months long. And some people may say, you know, like, well, you're just trying to sell more training. Well, no, I'm actually trying to make the training work in a real life situation. And if you just come in and I teach you how to accelerate one day, you're not going to do it, you know, when, when it actually counts. So it, the, the consistent practice, the repetition and the constant feedback is absolutely critical to, to actually applying this stuff. And just kind of a, I don't know, narrative. And this is uh, the seminar that we do run for CrossFit. Uh, the one of some of the allures across it for the general population is the idea that everything's different every day. So it's kind of interesting, right? And it's, it's a culture shock uh, when we have these guys program some like, uh, a four-day program and uh we're like hey just keep the runs consistent or we talk about maybe like an eight-week cycle just keep the, it has to be consistent well how do we differ the warm-ups for sprinting you don't this is your skill acquisition like to get good 
at sprinting, we have to dial the mechanics. To dial the mechanics, you have to be consistent. Like, don't be a don't get caught well, no, up in I, the romance of the variance. I blame this on Bill Phillips and the muscle confusion. <laughs> oh my god, yeah. Like because I mean, you know, like the idea that the way that you make progress is by confusing your muscles. And I try to like we like we we pulled our hair out with this where I'm like the one thing you don't want to do is confuse your body internally. <laughs> Like, uh, like the idea that, you know, here is this very, very basic, uh, complex pattern of just sprinting, which you would think should be inherent to every human being on the planet because it's, I mean, uh, you know, I mean, I, I watch my kids who are my, my, my daughters are five years old. They literally run everywhere and they literally take off and they sprint. My daughters have twins. They race everywhere we go. It doesn't matter what we're doing. They literally race everywhere and they literally just pick up their feet and they run as fast as they can almost look like they're going to like crash and they somehow pull it out. And you would think that it would be so inherently just something that we could do, but yet we really, really struggle with it. And, uh, uh you know, the idea of that can you, the least thing you want to do is confuse your body. And I just go back to the Bill Phillips muscle confusion thing that people have this idea that there has to be this constantly Very. changing variable. I have to constantly be moving it up and down. I'm like, why don't you just keep doing this until we get good at it? When you get good at it, then we'll change something. But until that day, let's focus on what we can do. Yeah, well, I mean, that, that's the difference between training and exercising. Training is more of a systematic um, progression of certain things. And, and whether it's, it's, you know, slowly increasing the weight or slowly progressing to a different exercise or slowly getting better and repetition rep after repetition of a certain skill so that you get it versus exercising is, you know, you're out there burning calories and it doesn't really matter what you do. It can be different every day because you're, you're not trying to get good at one thing. You're just trying to, you know, burn calories and it's fitness. Um, but the nervous system learns in a totally different way. You know, it, every time you do something, your nervous system thinks that's what, that's what I'm supposed to do and starts to lay down those patterns. So if you're trying to throw, you know, a certain way and you keep throwing and keep throwing and keep throwing, and then you throw a different way, your nervous system's like, Whoa, is that what I'm supposed to do? I thought I was supposed to do this and it starts getting confused. So it has to be, you know, it has to be done the same way every time until the nervous system just knows this is how I'm supposed to do something. And, and, and like you said, muscle confusion, um, Muscle confusion is different than nervous system confusion and you know nervous system confusion is is stupidity like that's when you're gonna not you're not gonna ever learn a good pattern you're not gonna ingrain it muscle confusion okay yeah now you're just exercising you can get lots of different stuff in and I guess public service there's nothing wrong with exercise but yes. if that's what you're throwing no. an athlete into and they well, need to get these patterns ingrained then you're doing them a disservice he made a great deal of the difference between just getting sweaty and exercising and trying to become a more fit human being and also training, which Im implies that we have a goal and a destination that we're trying to get to. Mm -hmm. If somebody comes in and I, I need you to train me to run faster, then we have a systematic approach to get there. If I just said, Hey, I got 20 minutes, get me sweaty. You're like, awesome. Let's fucking do it. Let's go. I mean, yeah. I mean and you're just going to, you know, put some stuff together. I mean, dude, we, um, you know, like, uh, uh, one of my favorite things to do was, uh, all Charlie Francis GPP med ball stuff mm -hmm. because they were not patterns that we were doing when we were sprinting. They were just different throws movements, you know, and you're just thinking of different planes of motion and different rotations. And they didn't almost overlap. Like we weren't learning similar movement patterns within the training. And so it was just throw a ball, get sweaty opposed from, you know, let's go out and run and do those specific deals. Yeah, and there's nothing wrong with that. That's why the first word in GPP is general. You know, it's like it's just 
you're, you're working out, you're getting, you're, you're increasing your work capacity mm-hmm. and there's, not, there's nothing wrong with that. You know, it's just, you just have to know that that's not going to make you run faster or, you know, shoot a basketball better. Yeah, uh, Jim, I, I wrote this thing for NSCA that was just like calling out conditioning tests. I'm taking a war against sport coaches and their conditioning tests. Uh, cause you know, they're being forced on me. So, uh, the big part of the argument was cyclical versus acyclical, like uh, like that open skill that you were talking about. Are we preparing our athletes or are we truly testing their preparation by these tests? I'll have to send it your way, but the bottom line was yeah, this, this open skill versus uh, closed loop. That'd be awesome. I'd love to read that. And I, I, I don't know if we can, you know, test closed loop or I'm sorry, open loop stuff, though. Like they just have to play. You know, and that's, but that's why you see some guys uh, on a football field that they don't test super well, but they play way faster. Jerry Rice was not the fastest receiver that's ever played the game, but nobody could, you know, nobody could check him. So, you know, and then you see guys who are Olympic sprinters that get out there on the field and they, and they, they don't get it. So uh, there's a lot of, there's a lot of neck up stuff involved in sports that I don't know if we can test really. But but that's, uh, um, we talked about it. I think we actually talked about it yesterday. Uh, We were going over some stuff uh, uh, within a meeting and we talked about um, athletic intelligence. This idea that there's a sport intelligence. uh, You know, we were, you know, there was a a video of a, I think he was a sprinter kid that they put in sevens rugby and they had a bunch of videos mm-hmm. and they kick him on the outside and he fucking blows past all these dudes. Mm-hmm. And they were asking, you know, why can't we put him in a, you know, full type rugby deal? And they were like, his uh, sport intelligence was not high enough that even though he's so fast, other guys have such better field vision and awareness about where to be and put themselves in the right position. They were like that type of game, which had more people would not benefit him just because his IQ for the sport was kind of low. So and, um, Jim, Jim actually talks about this in his book. So it's the, the three basic components of sport. Um, and one of them is that, that technical understanding that you're talking about, John. Uh, Jim, can you get into kind of these th- three components and then let's see where that takes us. Sure. Um, so you've got physical, technical, and tactical. Those are the three kind of main areas of sport. Physical is, um, you know, your, your general physical abilities, your strength, speed, stamina, um, flexibility, mobility, all that kind of general stuff. And then technical ability is your ability to actually perform the skills on the field or court. So technical would be things like dribbling, shooting, catching, throwing, um, hands, you know, blocking uh, technique, you know, for, for linemen, uh, that kind of stuff. And then tactical is understanding like how those things fit into a larger game situation. So um, like, like we were just talking about, you could be really fast and powerful uh, as a basketball player. You could have sweet dribbling skills and sweet shooting skills, but if you don't know how the game is played, like in the flow of the game and when to pass versus taking, you know, when to take a shot, then you're going to make poor decisions. So that's more of a, a tactical awareness and you, you have to have all three to play at, at a high level, you know, and, and that, that's where you can see kids though, make, make super great gains in technical proficiency by doing these, um, you know, lots of sports skill instructions, uh, instruction. And at a young age, if you have really good technical skills, you're going to crush kids. Um, but those, those kids who develop later and, you know, all of a sudden they're running, running faster and don't have the skills, like they can catch up to that stuff later on. So have, have you seen like the late bloomer effect? Um, I always love, you know, talking with, uh, you know, 
guys over the years when I asked them, like, oh man, like, like, you know, how'd you do? I sucked at this stuff. Like I, I, I forgot who it was. Uh, like Clay Matthews talking about how he was the run and, you know, had to, had to walk on and you, you know, JJ Watt and different other guys, um, you know, Tony Gonzalez was like that where these guys really struggled and kind of went through this, uh, you know, I wasn't good. Nobody wanted me. Michael Jordan effect where I got cut. And then you really kind of late bloom into this. And it seems like those guys uh, end up just, you know, and I always wonder if they develop a work ethic at a younger age because their skills weren't there. And then the minute when the work ethic kind of catches and there's this kind of good cross section between athleticism and work ethic and everything seems to take on from that. Yeah. I think it's a combination of all those things. I mean, I, I would imagine, I, I do think kids that are too good at sports early on are kind of, there's a disservice done to them because they didn't learn how to work. They just were able to do stuff super easily and they never had to um, really practice stuff. Um, so they didn't learn that kind of stuff, but the kids who were, they were okay at sports, like in elementary school and middle school, they had to work their butts off just to, you know, get on the field or make the team. Well, as their bodies mature, that work ethic and that ability to, um, to kind of focus on the process of, of getting better, that pays off for them down the road. And, and you do see a lot of those kids end up excelling, you know, way past those kids that were crushing it in, uh, in elementary school and then you know they, they don't have it later they peak too they peak too early like me uh failing pe or scared to death to fail pe in seventh and eighth grade yeah i was i was ace in pe dude <laughs> i'm talking freshman year one arm home run in softball dinger yeah, one, arm. <laughs> one arm against kevin washington he was like the all-state all-conference wide receiver he was pitching and he lobbed me a softball and i just took dropped my left hand Right hand only, ripped a dinger. And that's when I peaked. <laughs> so it's funny, Luke will tell me these stories. He's like, when did you know I was peaked? I was like, oh, we walked on the red carpet at the Playboy Mansion. No, I don't have that story. Yeah, I was like, that, that's how I knew I peaked. He's like, when was that? I was like, oh, that's after we, we lost the NFC Championship game. And that was the next weekend. That was, so. But yeah, we peaked in a little different ways. Yeah, John, thanks for reminding me. What <laughs> our dinger, man. <laughs> I hope you have it on video, man, because I know it was sick. <laughs> Which one, the Playboy Mansion? <laughs> no, the, the one-armed dinger. <laughs> Dude, the, uh, well, that's the problem is that, uh, you know, video is so available to us yeah. now. I mean, I, like, the, <laughs> the fact that you can actually take your iPhone and record kids and show them in real time I mean, think about trying to do that 20 years ago or yeah, more. Yeah. I mean, dude, I, I was thinking about like 15, 16 years old running. If somebody could have just like video camera, I remember a high school coach uh, for one of our sprint workouts, and you're going to laugh at this, was uh, 16 220s. Yep. So we had to run a 220, and then you walk a 220, and we did that for four miles one day for our speed work. Awesome. Uh, <laughs> that was, yeah, that was our speed work day. And um, I remember our coach uh, getting like one of the film guys, the guys that like filmed our practices to come out and film it. And, I'm, and I thought we were going to go uh, watch it to try to get better. And all we did is we had to go to film study and he called people out for dogging. So the video was there as like his opportunity to motherfuck mm -hmm. people. And this guy doesn't lie, right? Well, I know, but here's the thing. You're like 16 years old and you're like, today we're going to run. I mean, what was that like? Walk, I mean, what was that? Four miles? Over four miles? 16 220s with walks. So it'd be 16 440s. So four miles of work, and he's calling people out, and this is our speed development. Yeah. So let, let's go down. I mean, I know we have coaches that battle that, strength coaches that listen to this, that, you know, you're, oh, there's that battle with the sport coach who thinks 
hey, the 16 to 20 is that's the way we're going to figure out get these guys faster. What's the narrative or the pitch or how do you how temper do you, that? Yeah, how do you like, approach that? I mean, because you've been a strength and conditioning coach, you've worked with head coaches, and it's kind of going back. He to also Texas. goes out and works at Michigan, so he goes out there and he's there for speed development. How do you kind of temper that with the Jim Harbaugh's of the world, or is Jim smart enough to realize, like, hey man, just make him fast. I'm going to go in there and fucking have breakfast. Well, you know, it's funny. I've talked about this before. I think that the the higher level you go, the more people realize. Okay, I want I want an expert in each in each specific field. So you know you don't have too many NFL coaches that are like in the weight room, like banging weights around. You know, teaching the guys. You know, setting up the programs. Um, college is pretty much the same way. But when you get to smaller colleges, then the coaches have more opinions. We call them. You know, like they have an opinion on on what should be done. And then you get down lower and lower. High school coaches very often. Um, and sometimes by necessity because, it, you know, they just don't have the budgets, but they want to run everything, you know, and they want to do, they're, they're not just going to call the plays, but they're also going to run the practice and they're going to tell you how to do your strength and conditioning. And they might even be in the athletic training room doing, you know, taping ankles, you know, beforehand. And it, it, it's harder to, to deal with that kind of stuff. And that just comes with relationship building and, um, and over time educating people, you know, on, on as to why, I mean, some of the, some of the high schools that we're in, it took me years, years and years to get into those schools. And then, you know, if there's a coaching change, then bam, you know, you may, maybe you're out. So you're back uh, in the fight. Yeah, exactly. So it, it's a lot of education and relationship building and, uh, and you know, there, there's also something to be said for just having kids work hard sometimes, you know, that, that's gotta be part of it. So, you know, if your coach John would have said, Hey, we're just doing this cause I want to teach everybody how to work their asses off. Okay. You know, I can, I can see that, but if you're doing it every day and calling it speed work, then that's a totally different story, I guess. No, we were, it was terrible. <laughs> we, uh, I mean, our, my football coach was a, uh, ex Marine. And mm-hmm. so he had this whole thing where water builds weakness. So we weren't allowed to drink water during practice. Uh, you know, like it, it was like, I, I look back and like, you can realize like, you know, and we, we've run into coaches like this. We're like, Oh, tell us about your program. Same one Bear Bryant had. And we're always like, Oh geez. <laughs> I mean, and it's, you know, the idea that, you know, this is what I did. It was plenty good for me. So obviously, you know, strength conditioning hasn't really evolved since Bear Bryant. So we're going to stick with that stuff. And uh, I mean, to me, the, uh, people that fail to learn kind of just end up failing. And I'm like, dude, they're, you know, the internet, for all the bad stuff, it's done some good stuff. Or they too. get lucky with one class and they think that's the answer and it's the kids. Right? Yeah. Or, yeah, I mean, but yeah, it's amazing. That's a good point you made though. Like with the internet, yeah, there's so much crap on the internet, but sometimes you see people doing stuff and you're like, there's so much available on the internet that like, how can you have possibly missed the last 10 years here, you know, and you're still doing something, you know, like, I mean, I, <laughs> I think of it like Olympic lifting, like watching people do cleans in high schools. Um, I sometimes think like there's so much available like on the internet for how to do this. Like, how are you still okay, you know, doing it this way and not? There's an Instagram page called the quarter squat gang. Oh yeah. And uh, we, we follow them on Instagram and it's just nothing but the guy goes and pulls videos off of other Instagrams of people squatting quarter squats. I like and what's amazing <laughs> is he like, you know, cuts and pastes and reposts it. And the people are like, Oh yeah. You know, hitting this, you know, four or five for a triple here. And the guy's like basically going the bars moving three inches up and down. Yeah. And, 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 and the, the thing, which I'm, I, I, 
we laugh about it. I'm like, dude, there is thousands of YouTube videos of there of like, you know, people squatting enormous weights below parallel, really good squats. How, you know, they're on Instagram. So they're using the internet. They have these tools available to them. Like, are they looking at this and thinking like, Oh shit, this looks good. Or how come this doesn't look like this other guy yeah. who, you know, like it just, it fucking blows my mind. And I'm like, dude, there's so many videos of people. I mean, there's obviously a lot of people doing it poorly, but just like good mechanics, squat below parallel, drive the bar, you know, I mean, all these small key elements, you would think that just being able to squat well, you could actually watch a video on YouTube or hundreds of them and have an idea of what you're doing before you post that and get fucking murdered on the course. <laughs> and before like anyone that hates on that statement, like we understand there's potentially a purpose for a quarter squat. These people are like, on Instagram, putting on their caption, like buried 405 for yeah. a triple. And you're well, like, I mean, oh my God, dude, you're not even if, like. If you go back and you read like super training or any version of Shanti's work, they talk about the difference between like a GPP squat versus a sports specific mm -hmm. squat. And the idea that, you know, if you're looking at doing some form of vertical or a violent hip extension, doing some form of quarter squat, I remember reading it and thinking to myself, I can't do it. If we're going to do some form of violent hip extension in that kind of range of motion, let's do a power clean or a power snatch or clean, pull. or clean pulls or maybe, uh, you know, some like a dumbbell box jumps or other ways. I just have an inherent problem with getting mm -hmm. people to squat like that because it just fucking destroys knees and it's, it's not a good movement. And, you know, I stretch short and I mean, all these different things, but uh, like, we digress. Yeah, we, we digress. <laughs> and, and these are just basic closed chain movements. And now you look at something like um, if you were to put, and I do, I, I did this recently when we were uh, prepping for your podcast. I put in a speed development, speed training into YouTube, and it was nothing but people with fucking gimmicks. It was speed ladders and this and that all that rubber band suit. Oh, that's pretty legit, though. Like uh, that's got to work, right? Like, have you seen this where they basically connect joints with rubber bands, and the guy was running against it, so you can have full body resistance. And it, it was literally like the first page was just nothing but nonsensical bullshit. And I'm thinking to myself, like, where's like just you know, uh, you know like uh, you know, toe up, knee up, dorsiflexion, good arm swing. I want you to drive out, you know, put force into the ground and accelerate out of the block or off the ground. I mean, there was literally there was nothing in that. I'm thinking to myself, is it just the fact that the most ridiculous shit gets the most views? And um, something we run into with a lot of our guests is. Uh, I think this is amazing, but unfortunately, this is uh, complete, uh, completely makes sense and it's not nonsensical crap. And it seems that the more outrageous something is, the more views and the more people kind of glom onto it, like the bright, shiny, you know, beacon. Whereas, you know, yeah. mechanics, hard work, consistency, being able to do this over and over again and then being make it look good and make it look good and mm -hmm. repetition. Yes. I can't believe that's not sexy anymore. Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm guessing that my videos where I'm like for 10 minutes standing there talking about sprinting mechanics probably aren't the most popular videos on YouTube. Yeah, they were down there. Yeah. <laughs> they, they, it was right below. The, it's, it, 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 dude, you know what the most viewed one was? Was that dipshit doing the speed ladder where he's like doing he like three sixties yeah, and he's like, you yeah. know, pay me $49.99 and I'm going to teach. And, and, and like the 5'2 uh, guy? Yeah, yeah, the guy that's 5'2 and all the comments are like, this is great. Um, how does this apply to sport? And the guy's like, well, you know, in sport, if you can move your feet, I'm like, oh my God, dude. <laughs> so yeah, I, you, your job is uh, a, a difficult one. I mean, to say the least, I mean, especially trying to convince parents of this stuff, you know, because they probably look on YouTube and like, well, look at rubber band, man. How, how come we're not doing this? You get that quite often. I saw this on the internet. How come we're not doing this? Uh, yes. Yeah. I mean, it, I, I think that, 
you know, because we've been doing what we're doing, we kind of have a system. We don't get it too much because a lot of those people are just going to not come in here. Um, but yeah, we, we get that stuff all the time. And, you know, I'm okay with the questions from kids like, hey, why don't we do this? If it's just an honest question and then I can explain why we're not doing it. And then it's like, okay, okay. Um, but yeah, I mean, you can't, you, there's some stuff that you can't even explain away because it's like, <laughs> you know, where am I even going to start with this? You know? uh, uh, do, do people come pitch you on this stuff? Like uh, do you have people show up your facility and it's like, oh my God, I have this amazing product. You don't have to coach anymore. You just put this in here and magically hook everybody up and it seems to work. Mm, no, really? no, because I, I, I guess anybody that's going to, that would come pitch, something like that probably knows maybe a little bit about me, you know, mm -hmm. you can, you can look it up, you know, and, and probably realizes, okay, this may not be where I'm going to sell my stuff. Fair enough. Easy enough. Well, Hey Jim, this was great, man. We're about that time to, to shut it down. If, uh, where do you want to point people? I mean, we're probably going to have, I don't know, 70,000 people listen to this per day for 30 days. I think that's our stats. Is it? No, but uh, where, do you want these people, where do you want these people to roll to? What website, what social media, like where can they learn more? What do you want them to buy? Um, well, they, they, they can find me. Everything is just Jim Kilbasso. You know, like there's, you know, if you type in Jim Kilbasso, it's K-I-E-L-B-A-S-O. Like this is pretty much just me and my dad and my dad doesn't do this stuff. He, uh, <laughs> He does stuff with trees. So, um, you know, if you type in Jim Calvasso on Instagram or YouTube or even jimcalvasso.com, that's my website. So, you know, they can certainly find me on there. Awesome. Well, Jim, thanks so much for taking the time, man. Again, I, I know John's going to get into it, but uh, it's nice to find like-minded individuals and just sit around and chat. No, it's great. I'm, uh, yeah, I mean, super stoked. Uh, I know the book was extremely uh, influential text because he kept, you know, what do you think about this? And we had, you know, Texas after about three or four months and talked through it pretty well. So um, everything that, uh, uh, you know, all the discussions, everything we had, I mean, dude, I was like, we got to get this guy on the podcast because not only is this uh, great information, we just hope to be able to put good stuff out and turn people on to you and then let them make their own decisions and hopefully, uh, uh, you know, a little bit more insight for what they're doing. So thank you very much and I appreciate you taking the time. Awesome, yeah, man. And I, I really appreciate it. And Tex, I'm a little disappointed. I know you talk about your sick flow, um, you know, your hair all the time. And <laughs> I think, I think I've got some pretty sweet hair and you Yeah, you got that silver fox look going perfect. Yeah, it's kind, yeah, it's kind of, kind of spiked up a little you bit. You've got, the, you've got the cloth. You got to work on that bounce a little bit. <laughs> when you have three kids, instantly you get gray hair. So that's why you I don't know, you know, you guys have got no kids, but curl mm -hmm. uh, going, you remind me of uh, when my daughter, when my two-year-old daughter's hair was growing in right now. I, I, I have a curl going? Mine? No, 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 no not Jim Tex. Tex. No, oh, yeah, yeah. that's the flow, I, I good. Yeah. Oh, that's the flow you're talking about? Nice. Yeah, yeah. it's it bounce it's up front. front. <laughs> <laughs> It We're is not an expert on the podcast. We'll talk here. It's fine. But, you know, I, just, I just want to say thank you over here. I appreciate, I appreciate all the work you're doing, on, uh, especially this book. And then uh, I always tell people investment comes through understanding. So that way, if you're ever battling with a coach um, and the more a coach can understand and stand uh, against all that bullshit. And then this book is definitely uh, an influential resource for anybody looking to learn kind of basic, basic speed approach to uh, agility development. Man, I appreciate it, guys. We got to do some more stuff together. Yeah, Jim, if you're ever on the road, we're, we got a few more months left here in uh, SoCal, but then we're going to be hoofing down to, near Austin, Texas uh, for next year and kind of moving forward. But yeah, if you're ever uh, out there, drop a line, and next time we're in Waxham, Michigan, we'll, you know, 
we'll reach out. <laughs> Surprisingly, we do a bunch. Yeah, of we stuff do a lot of Mishawaka yeah. out yeah. there. So yeah. we're we 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 are within a drive uh, for seminars and stuff. So we'll we'll definitely reach out and try and cross paths. That's great, man. Sounds good. All right, great. Well, Thank you. thanks for listening, guys, and uh, text. I'll see you later, buddy. All right, see you guys. Bye. Thanks. Now it's time for you to empower your performance. Take a second to look at Jim's website, www.jimkilbasso.com, to learn about all the ways he's making athletes perform better through all levels of competition. He's also available on social media under his personal name as well. We're getting close to our annual battle against neuroblastoma, and yet you won't see neuroblastoma colors on any given Sunday or being sported by big airline stewardesses. That's because it's underfunded and continues to devastate families and take the lives of little ones as the leading form of pediatric cancer. Wade's Day is November 12th, which means you have one month to head to www.wadesarmy.org to make your donation and receive your Wade's swag. Support any number of our pages or start your own fundraising campaign. Every Army needs a uniform. Until next time, bye!